Thanks for checking out today's episode of the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Tyler Aki and Tim Leonard, we've got you every single day here on the Locked On Syracuse podcast, the only source for daily Orange podcasts. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you're all staying healthy. Hope you're all sheltered in place right now and enjoying this episode of the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Right now, we've got part two with Sterling Hoffrichter. If you missed part one, check it out on our podcast feed. We get into more of like the the intricacies of punting and, and his NFL prospects in part one. But today, it's pretty much all Syracuse-centric. So let's get to it. Sterling Hoffrichter, part two. So kind of getting into your Syracuse career here, looking back on two seasons ago now, when you guys had that great run, you win 10 games, you win the Campion World Bowl. What do you think made that year specifically so special? Why were you guys able to be so successful that season? I think a lot of it was just everyone kind of buying in and kind of ready to go. Then a lot of the seniors, um, I mean, that was my class, that they they didn't have a winning season. So I think they're kind of tired of that. And they uh, they really kind of put in the extra work and put in the extra motivation to kind of get everyone to buy in and get ready to go. So I think that's probably one of the big driving factors right there is just kind of having everybody kind of on the same on the same level, um, just ready to kind of go out there and compete every week. I remember game one, and that was the Western Michigan game. You were actually listed on the depth chart as the starting kicker. And I remember thinking that you were going to go out there for that first extra point, I think it was. And then all of a sudden, Andre Schmidt's out there. Is there some kind of story as to how that came to be and why Schmidt ended up being the kicker instead of you? Uh, not too much. It was just kind of a not trying to put too much stress on myself. Um, not even like mentally, just from kicking. Because if I was gonna, I wasn't. I I'd never planned on doing all three: um, kickoff, punt, and field goal. So I was not really wanting to do that because I didn't want the rest of my game to suffer. So that's kind of basically the whole story behind it was just kind of that. And then he also he had a tremendous fall camp. I think that's one fall camp we both um, did really well in overall. So there's a lot of kind of faith in him to perform well and obviously went out there and did really well. So another game that I remember with you from the season was that Boston College game. I think it was the, the last regular season game of the year. You actually forced and recovered a fumble in that game. I, I went back to try to find it, find the clip, and ACC posts like the full games on YouTube. And they cut your play out of the game. I don't know if you've tried to go back and watch, but the disrespect to the, to the kickoff and special teams unit there is unbelievable. I actually had to go into the condensed game version, and they had that. But what do you remember from that play? And Because I remember watching it. It seems like you kind of shy away at a little bit, and then all of a sudden you come out and just spear right at the ball, and then you land on top of it too. Yeah, so he was, he was like getting – I think it was right after he hurt, like kind of hurtled over – some bodies on the ground so he's kind of stumbling forward so I was kind of backing up a little bit to kind of hopefully he'd stand back up so that I could kind of get lower than him and kind of make the tackle so that's why I was kind of backing up a little bit and then as soon as I saw him about to kind of stand up some I decided to kind of dive in there a little bit um so somehow I guess my helmet found the football and so I like made the tackle and I'm just kind of laying there and all of a sudden I see the ball loose so I kind of reach out for the ball and I think he did about the same time. So 
I knew the refs would only give it kind of to whoever had the ball closest to their body. So I was kind of sticking my feet into the ground and kind of squirming and trying to get on top of the ball as much as I could. So the ball would be as close to my chest as possible. Um, and honestly, like, cause I've seen the clip a couple of times and it was only like probably 20 seconds we were there, but it literally felt like I was down there for like three minutes fighting for the football. That might've been the best arm work I've ever had in my life right there. But <laughs> it was, uh, it was intense. But then all the other teammates are like yelling whose ball it is and stuff like that. So it was, it was really cool. Is that your first time being in like a scrum for a fumble? I think it is. Yeah, it was. It was a How violent does it get in there? I think it's pretty violent. I mean, there. I think there's at least me and the returner who have find them for the ball. But then the other, I think there might have been a few other kind of people in there fighting for the ball as well. So it's. Uh, everyone's trying to get the ball and kind of doing, kind of whatever they can to get the ball, like getting on top of it as much as you can or pulling it as close to you as possible. So. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't really remember the play. Did you have a chance to kind of do the thing where you just grab the ball and then run to the sideline with it, essentially, and show it off a little bit? So, yeah. So, well, they called. They said it was our ball and stuff, but I still wasn't going to let go of the ball until I, like, I came out of the pile with the ball. Yeah. Um, so, it was, just, it was a scrum for a while. Then so I ended up grabbing the ball, I think, when the scrum ended, and I stood up. I think I just held the ball over my head. Um, I kind of blacked out a little bit from it too. So it's uh, it was a, it was a cool experience though. I feel like that's cool in the sense that like, well, like when you get up, like cornerbacks, whenever they break up a pass, they do like the, the incomplete pass signal receivers. When they get the first down, they do the first down. I feel like you should have went with the, the full referee, like signaling the change of possession right there. <laughs> that would yeah. have been cool. I don't know. There wasn't, there wasn't too much going through my head at the time. I was just, kind of excited to get the ball back because I think the score is seven to seven. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty big uh, turning point in the game right there. So when you kind of think back on your Syracuse career, obviously you kind of saw Dino come in and build up the culture a little bit. Just how would you describe his coaching style as someone that was inside the locker room with him a lot and Obviously, maybe didn't work with him one-on-one at practice a ton being a punter, but still just being around him. Yeah, he's he's intense. I feel like every coach is intense. Um, personally, I feel like I haven't played for that many coaches overall. Like some people might play for more coaches, but I mean, I had one high school coach and then I had Coach Schaefer for half a year and then Coach Babers for four. So I'd say his coaching style, I'd almost say it's different in a sense, but it's like different from what I'm used to. So I'm not sure how it compares to everybody else, but I don't know. I love them as a coach and as a person. He's, uh, he's someone you have to kind of warm up to and definitely like my senior year, I'm super comfortable kind of around him and kind of just, I loved being around him. And he's a, he's a funny guy too. When you look back on this past season with you guys, what do you think sort of went wrong for you as a team? I think some of it, um, could have been just not everybody, like I said from before, that everyone's on the same page. I don't think everyone was on the same page. And then I think some people even might have thought, okay, we went 10 and 3 last year. That seems pretty easy. I think we can do it again. And just kind of thought it was kind of like an easy process. But winning, winning isn't easy at all um, at the D1 level, especially in the ACC. You got 
um, competition from everybody and kind of you never know who's really going to take the conference in a sense from I mean we got Clemson FSU on our side who have been predominant but on the other side it's kind of always been up for grads on that side of the conference so you never really know who's going to come out on top so I think it's kind of one thing that I went thought was just going to be a little bit of a walk in the park but uh, turned out that they were kind of like wrong and it's kind of too late to kind of turn it around. That Maryland game obviously was kind of like a shot to the face a little bit there. And then, you know, there was all that hype around the Clemson game, which we talked about a little bit earlier. And I think for you personally, that was one of your better games probably, but around the Clemson game, when you found out that game day wasn't coming, which it looked like they might for a while, did that, was that kind of a tough one to swallow knowing that it was probably in the works for a little bit? I don't know if it was too much. I don't know if we focused on that um, really too much. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we had, well, we had national TV, ABC at night or whatever, uh, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I don't think too many people were like too worried about game day. I know a lot of, a lot of us are probably excited. It's kind of like this could be the first time game day comes to Syracuse. But I don't think we were kind of bummed when I said we did it. They weren't coming. So, yeah, I don't know. Let's go back to, I believe this is your sophomore year, the Clemson upset. Can you take us through some of the behind the scenes, maybe some of the untold stories from that night and just that whole weekend? Um, I mean, right after the game, when everyone rushed the field, like for me, I couldn't even find him. I had no idea where any of my teammates went because it's just so <laughs> many people on the field. So that was kind of crazy. And then I really don't remember what happened too much besides we went to the locker room, got one of Coach Baber's famous speeches. And then I'm not sure what happened really after that. I think a lot of people, we all kind of got pictures, I think, in the locker room and on the field with like the scoreboard. That's just something that you're going to kind of have for the rest of your life. And then I'd say throughout the weekend, it was just kind of excitement around the building. Just everyone's like, like we all thought we could do it, but you know, you have people who tell you that there's no way you'll, you'll do it. So a lot of people are just excited to kind of prove the doubters wrong and just kind of prove that we can beat pretty much anybody in the country. If we like, if we really put everything we can into it. Who had the longest snap story from that night and the weekend, that entire week? Ooh, I don't know. I don't have too many people on Snapchat. Um, I feel like I feel like mine might have been pretty long, but I don't think it was the longest at all. I'm not sure who would have had the longest one. Do you remember like a group of guys you went out with after that game? Because I'm sure you guys, rightfully so, had to do some celebrating after that. <laughs> That was pretty long ago, so not too much. My memory's been kind of all jumbled up at this point. Just kind of everything kind of runs together, so I don't really remember. But I'm sure um, – I think Coach Bears, like just told us moderation because you're not going to tell a team <laughs> kind of – there's no way you're going to tell a team you guys can't go out. You guys just beat the number one or number two team in the country. But I think a lot of us kind of – enjoy our nights and just have fun with it. 
Yeah, I know Zach Mahoney, he was on this podcast like a week ago, and he said that he went so hard on Friday that he just didn't go out the rest of the weekend. Um, and that that actually, that segue from that night, what was that? That was a Friday night into a Saturday morning. So like when the party was happening, that was actually Tim's birthday. So I, on behalf it of was. Tim, like thank you for the for the birthday present <laughs> for Tim. It was a great birthday gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Getting into this whole punter you thing with Syracuse, I mean, between you and Riley, it feels like you've really established that. What's been the whole attraction with Syracuse and, and drawing these prolific punters? I mean, we've had su- such success with punters starting, really, I think Rob Long started it all, and then Riley, and then me, and then, I mean, you can't, really can't go wrong with punting inside of the dome, especially with this. The new dome that's going to go up, I think it's, I'm a little disappointed it's going up now. I wish it would have gone up this past year so I could have played in it. But I think it's definitely going to be – it's always been a huge attraction because a lot of people – I mean, you're never going to get perfect conditions unless you're in a dome. So, yeah, right there you have six games of kind of perfect conditions and just kind of having just a different atmosphere than kind of any other stadium has. No one really has a, a full dome. so. It's definitely a different and cool experience that a lot of people, I think a lot of punters enjoy and kind of wish that they get the opportunity to play in there. Your first year when you showed up, obviously you walk in and you're filling in for like a cult hero in Riley Dixon. And I'm sure that was kind of a tough task in and of itself. But I guess that first year you kind of got to learn with him before you took over the job, what did you learn in just that brief period that you had where you guys were on the same team for a little bit? Yeah, I learned a lot. I mean, I think probably the first week I was out there, I was kind of trying to just kill the football and punt it kind of as far as it could. And he kind of taught me a lot of things of like, don't try to kill the football, just focus on contact and kind of let the ball do the work, just swing easy. So um, he's taught me a lot better than, even he came out to Syracuse, I think, two times during the spring that him and I got some work in and kind of just learned more things, kind of asked some more NFL questions types of like, like before I went to the combine, asked him how it was, like what his experience was, what to expect. So it's cool to have a guy who's kind of been through it and can kind of teach you um, things to kind of prepare for and get ready for um, at the next level. Yeah, I feel like you don't get enough credit because – Riley Dixon, he has the the flashy plays, the hurdles against LSU and stuff like that. But when you crunch the numbers, your numbers are significantly better than his in terms of the inside 20s and, and not kicking touchbacks as often. But so the trick plays, that kind of became Riley Dixon's staple. And why didn't Dino Babers ever call trick plays for you? <laughs> Uh, that's a great question because we always had kind of a play in because you go into every game kind of with like, okay, this is our fake for the game if we want to run it. And then sometimes we come in at halftime and we hear, okay, the fake is there, be ready for it. And then we just never be called. So I'm not sure why. I wish we would have ran a couple. Um, but, I mean, I don't think it really hurt me too much to not run them. So I'm not not going to dwell on it too much. Was there ever a time where the trick play was called and you killed it at the line because you saw something like you thought you were going to get lit up or something? Because I remember Pat McAfee told a story once about 
I think it was against the Steelers and he was going up against James Harrison and he wanted to kill it or something. And like, they wouldn't let him kill it. And then the, the play just got blown up. Uh, I think that was the story with uh, Troy, um, Palomalu. or Troy Palomalu. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. The fake, the fake was like run to the, the side, the sideline that's closest to the hash. And then he changed it and said, we're kicking it. And then he kicked it and the coach like, what happened? And he's like, Oh, I saw it. A guy right in the gap I was supposed to run to, and the coach is like, good call. I don't know. He's <laughs> Matt is a character when he tells it to. But yeah. no, we never really had a – we never had a, a fake put in, like, where I was at the line and we're like, no, we're not going to run this. Um, the only, like, only things we've had is we got there for some punts, and we'd have – if they had a certain formation to it, we'd have to shift to a different type of punt just to kind of fix our protection so that we could protect against – um, a blocked punt, which we never really gave up a blocked punt in my four years, which is something that's um, pretty crazy to be honest. So, yeah, that's impressive. I didn't even know that. So you come in and Riley's there, and as we've talked about now, it feels like when you stack up your records, you're actually probably a lot, or your stats, you're a lot better than him in a lot of regards. Would you ever have imagined that? you would kind of live up to that billing and actually even eclipse some of his records? Um, I don't think I ever really thought of it just because I never, like, going into starting, I always just, people would ask me about that, about kind of filling in for Riley. And, well, I mean, we're two totally different people, totally different punters. So it's just kind of going out there and doing whatever I can do the best. So it's just we do different things. And, I mean, what's worked for him has obviously worked. And I think what's, what I've done has worked so far too. And we'll just see kind of how long it works for if I just kind of change anything or if I'll have a uh, good NFL career. So have you gotten to meet your, your heir apparent, James Williams, the, the new punter kicker recruit? Yeah, I came up on his official visit. I think Andre was actually his host um, for that weekend. And then uh, he came up to our place, I think one time and I hung out with him a little bit. So it was, it was good to meet him. And then I actually, um, during the summer when we had the, the Syracuse camps, I was out there with all the kicking um, camps and kind of helping run in and helping kind of coach, um, kind of decide on who was like the favorite. Like we just kind of discussed it. So I've kind of met him a couple of times. I've met his mom and his dad. So they're good people. And I, don't know, I think he's excited to get, get up there and get to work. All right, so we'll let you go in a little bit. Let's finish up on some rapid-fire questions here, some fun ones. So I know the legend had it that Riley could hit the dome speaker kind of on command. Did you ever hit it? No, I would try to, but it's just a weird um, I think a weird angle. It's a really small target, to be honest. I think I've gotten the ball up high enough, yeah. but just kind of missed it right or left. So it's more of a target thing as opposed to a, a power thing for you. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Um, so is there any show that you've been binge watching lately? Um, I think I've started kind of on uh, Hawaii Five O just because I have uh, CBS oh, okay. All Access is free for a month. So I haven't mm-hmm. watched that since like season five. So I'm trying to get through that. But I just got done with Tiger King, of course. And uh, it's crazy. Are you excited for the extra episode that's coming out next week? Oh, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be uh, interesting. 
<laughs> again. Yeah, I'm way behind on Tiger King. I got to catch up. I, I feel like I shouldn't even complain about you guys maybe spoiling it at this point because I'm so late to the game. Who yeah. is the Joe Exotic of Syracuse football? Hmm. I'd probably say, probably say Rex Culpepper, just because the way Rex dresses is kind of <laughs> probably what Joe Exotic wears. <laughs> All right. All right. Is there a uh, is there a return man, past or present, that you would love to tackle in the open field? A Syracuse guy. Um, a Syracuse returner. Or any return. You could go. You can pick an NFL yeah. guy for all I care. Um, I probably just try to say Devin Huster, just because he's obviously been super six or was super successful, and I don't know if I could do it, but I'd give it a shot. <laughs> well, that hurts as a Bears fan here. Um, is there an NFL dome stadium where you would want to most hit the scoreboard in? Probably would just say Cowboys just because of the massive scoreboard hanging over the center of the field that they've raised, but I think people still hit it. So I'd say that. Did you see the thing? This was like when they first opened Cowboys Stadium. And I remember TGI Fridays ran this big promo back in the day where if the punter hit the scoreboard on a punt, like everyone in the restaurant would get a free order. I think it was like green bean fries or something like that. Um, if the punter hit the scoreboard, I don't know if it's still a running thing, but you can help the the people of Dallas out maybe if uh, you hit the scoreboard like that. I'll definitely give it a shot. What's the longest punt you've ever hit? It can be in practice, but like the longest one you've measured. I think probably sixty something yards. I know my longest in the game is sixty five, so it's probably around my longest right there um, overall. You also hit that 52-yard field goal against Holy Cross. Is that your longest field goal, or can you stretch the range out even deeper than that? I can go deeper um, than that. In practice, I think I hit a 67 in pre-game and like a pre-practice warm-up. Oh, wow. Do you have any interest in like kicking in the NFL, like field goals as well? Yeah, I mean, if I had to, I would. Um, it's something I still kind of work on every once in a while and uh, try to keep it tuned up so that I can – do it if it's needed. So I remember back when the Bears drafted Pat O'Donnell, the big thing on his scouting report was the fact that he outbenched Jadavion Clowney at the combine. Do you think <laughs> you could outbench Chase Young? Definitely not. <laughs> I don't even know what his bench press is, but probably not. <laughs> yeah. So have you ever felt slighted about the Ray guy award? Cause you should have won this year and you were up, I think every single year. Did you feel like you were going to win this year? Be honest, not really. Um, I didn't even think I was going to be a finalist um, at all. So it was kind of cool to just even be a finalist and kind of get out there and kind of get the experience. But I don't, I don't think I ever kind of thought that I was going to win until probably right before they announced it when they showed the highlight video. I was like, wow. Oh. I was like, well, maybe. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if I really ever did, but uh, it would have been it would have been cool for sure. But not anything that I'm kind of super disappointed about. It's just it was a great experience and had a lot of fun. What was your favorite bar at Syracuse that you're gonna miss? Mm, there aren't many there, but <laughs> probably the the one I always go to is just is Harry's. Um, so that's probably okay. the one that I'll miss, even though it's not 
anything special. Well, apparently Chuck's is coming back, but I never got to yeah. experience Chuck's. I think you did. You ever get Chuck's while Us you were three there? Are yeah, we're like I the outcast class. I never went to Chuck's. Yeah, we're gonna be the only classes ever to not experience Chuck's when it's all said and done. If it comes back, but for good things, is there a restaurant? That you miss a lot from Syracuse? Uh, Francesca's. Uh, yeah, that's a good spot. Chicken rigs. I'll eat there. Oh, yeah. Who is the last player that you've played with in your time at Syracuse that you would want to be quarantined with right now? I think. From this past season like t- or anybody? Any season that Anyone you played at Syracuse. <laughs> if you got like one, one or three guys, like you can, you can list them all. Go for it. I'd probably say Matt Keller, probably just the specialist squads like Matt Keller, Nolan Cooney, and then Andre Schmidt. I think we'd have a lot of fun. Um, probably do some type of golf activity in the house. Um, so that could uh, that could be a fun group right there. What about ones that you what? wouldn't want to be quarantined with? I don't know if there's anyone that I wouldn't want to be quarantined with. Um, and I've always been kind of a self isolated type of person to where I can just kind of go to my room and sit in my room all day and really not have any problems with it and just kind of have fun from there and just kind of watch TV all day, play Fortnite or whatever I want to do. Well, I guess that's a good trait to have right now during these times. But what's (laughs) one thing about Andre that maybe you know that most people don't know about him? Probably that I don't know if a lot of people know that he can play he can play the guitar. I mean, I'm pretty sure he plays like the same song over and over again, but he can play the guitar the, the guitar pretty well. So I said it's one thing about him. What song does he play? Oh, crap. Like, is he a simple guy? Is he like a smoke on the water guy? Or does he actually venture off and try to find cool songs to play? It's a uh, song. I think it's, it's the, there's a house in New Orleans. Oh, House of the Rising Sun. Okay. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I don't know the name. So he's just mastered that one song? He he plays like the same part of the song over and over again. So he doesn't even know the full song. He just knows like (laughs) 30 seconds of it. I don't don't think so. I don't think I've ever heard him get through the full song. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. We'll wrap it up here with this. What part of being in the NFL are you most excited about? I think just kind of being one of. Like those guys, one of the 32 best punters in the world, really, just kind of proving that I can kind of do it at the next level and just kind of, I mean, there's always been, I said there's always been people who have doubted me, um, whether it's silent or vocal. So that's kind of something I like to do is just prove people wrong. All right, Sterling. Well, this was fun. Thanks so much for your time. Best of luck throughout the NFL draft process. And I'm sure we'll hear your name called at some point during it, but looking forward to watching your NFL career. Thank you so much for having me on here. All right, fun stuff there with Sterling Hoffrichter. Hopefully going to have him back on once he does know where he's landed in the NFL. But appreciate his time. Glad to hear that everything's going well with him in the pre-draft process. And he gave us some great stories as well along the way. Tim and I will be back tomorrow. We'll get into some more recruiting stuff, maybe even a little more Matt Harms talk as well. And we'll have some other fun along the way. So for Tim and Sterling, I'm Tyler. Check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast after you're done with this podcast, and we will talk to you tomorrow.